9 and verse 1 says this everyone say nevertheless nevertheless that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever this is going to be a word for somebody wherever you're at that time of darkness and despair is not going to go on forever verse 2 the people who are sitting at lifegate church today in darkness will see a great light for those who live in a land of deep darkness, I just came to, if you're depressed today, you're suicidal, you feel like you're at the end of your rope, there's no hope for you, I got news for you this morning, that those who live in that place, a light's about to shine this morning. Come on, somebody. Verse number four. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, that's important for us to know. We're going to look at that. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, Jesus, have shattered the yoke that burdened them. You, Jesus, have shattered the bar across their shoulders. You, Jesus, have shattered the rod of their oppressor. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. See, Jesus changes everything. Unto us a Savior is born, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, let's say this together, come on, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what's it, what's, what shall we call Jesus? We shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace is never going to end. I want to preach to you a message this morning entitled, Who is this man? Who is this man? Amen. Father, we thank you today for your goodness across this building and those watching online, hearing on our podcast around the world. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, you would release faith in this room for those who are hopeless and faithless, that that hope would get up and that faith would get up. And together, we would come together this morning into a place of newness in Jesus. We thank you for it in God's name. And everybody said, amen. I want to give you a little history before I get into the preaching portion of this message. And uh, for those of you that don't know, the the Old Testament is a book that's really a story about a nation called Israel. Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and it's traced all the way back to a patriarch by the name of Jacob. He had 10 sons and two grandsons. Of course, he had more kids than that, but those became the 12 tribes of Jacob or Israel. And Israel didn't have a king. They didn't have a, a leader that could lead them, a monarchy king. And so they went to the prophet and said, we want a king. So the Bible said that Saul became the king. Saul did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. He died. And when he died, King David became king. King David dies. He has a son named Solomon. Solomon becomes king. Solomon dies. He had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam becomes king. And then there was a massive contention in the, in the nation of Israel. Within the 12 tribes, 10 of them became the northern kingdom, and two of them, Judah and Benjamin, became the southern kingdom named Judah. So Israel was a corporate nation, but they were divided, much like the body of Christ is divided in today's world, but that's a different story. And during this time of division, a prophet stands up by the name of Isaiah, who is from Jerusalem, where in Judah, and begins to prophesy to the nation, the corporate nation of Israel. And so thus, this book... Isaiah is all about uh, that prophetic word. This book is written 700 years before Christ ever walked this planet. And this book is, is a, 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 there's a cadence in this book where Isaiah is calling the people to come back to God, bidding for them to leading for them to return back to God. And there's all kinds of prophecies throughout the book of Isaiah. 
They center around three things. Number one, they center around the oppression that was going to come from other nations like Persia or Rome eventually, but, but specifically in this time, Assyria and Syria as well, and how God's judgment would be poured out upon this nation. But there's good news uh, because he doesn't leave us without hope. He continually prophesies about a Messiah coming, a Savior who is going to come and change the dynamics of everything. This book reveals the saving power of God as it's revealing the judgment of God. You see phrases in there like the train of the Lord filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. We see the holiness of God in the book of Isaiah. That has to deal with God not allowing our sin to go unpunished because he's a judging God. Look at your neighbor say he is judge and jury just so you know. So, so he prophesies about the judgment, the consuming fire, but then he starts talking about God's mercy. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? He starts talking about the compassion of God. How many are glad that Jesus is compassionate to people who are hurting? And, and the Bible said that Isaiah prophesies, and he says, listen, God in his judgment is not going to let Israel be wiped off the map. I know, it's, I know it may not be popular in today's world to say that, but that's the word of God. The word of God said that God in his judgment will not allow Israel to be wiped off the map because he's a forgiving God. Isaiah is the only prophet in the Old Testament. I shouldn't say the only, but he wins the award for talking about the coming Messiah more than any other Old Testament books. And he focuses on salvation through Jesus. Listen to these quotes of Isaiah. He will rule Jesus in justice and righteousness. He will bring peace and safety to Israel. Through, through the Messiah, Israel will be a light to all nations. Through Jesus, he will have uh, to become the suffering servant for us because he will have to be wounded for our sin. He will have to be bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace, we've talked about this, will be upon him. And with his stripes, when he was beat at the cross, before the cross, we will be healed. Look at your neighbor and say, there's healing in Jesus. Ultimately, Isaiah is prophesying that the Messiah will pay the penalty, penalty for all of our sin. You and me, I don't care what your title is, what your degree is, Jesus pays the price for all sin. Gross sin, bad sin, and our little white collar sin. Come on in here. Jesus pays the price. Isaiah then presents Jesus in detail. He says Jesus will be the only way. Of course, he uses the word Messiah. He will be the only way to heaven. He will be the only means by which you can obtain the grace of God. Going to church can't give you grace. Come on. Coming to church only on Easter, it's not, it's not that, that's good, but that doesn't guarantee you a spot in heaven. Come on. Getting baptized in water, having your children dedicated, taking communion at the altar. None of that guarantees that you're going to get. Paul said it this way. Not by your works, lest any man should boast, for we are saved by grace in Christ Jesus. Grace means the unmerited favor of an almighty God. And so Isaiah is painting this picture of Christ that he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. So we open up. That's the first little bit of Isaiah. We get to Isaiah's chapter six and he's prophesying that Israel is going to be cut down like a tree. He opens up Isaiah chapter seven with prophesying, but a new king is going to come. Guess what his name is? Emmanuel, God who is with us. He's going to bring freedom from that oppression. He's going to build a new Jerusalem. Come on, come on, John the revelator. He's going to tr 
transform creation and bring peace, but not before captivity. We go into Isaiah 8. I'm, I'm almost to the preaching part, so just hold on a minute. We go into Isaiah 8, and Isaiah prophesies that Assyria and Syria will be the nations in this time that will come and chop down Israel like a tree. But, but I, he, he uses language like this. Listen, those, those who contradict my word, this is Isaiah chapter number eight. He said, those who contradict my word are going to roam aimlessly through life. This applies to you and I. If we do not serve the Lord, you will wander through life aimlessly. They will be tired. They will be weary. If you walk away from God, you're, there's times where your soul is going to be hungry. You'll never be satisfied. All the wealth in this world will never satisfy you like the Messiah. You will be lost. You will be empty. You will be undone. This is all Isaiah chapter 8. And whatever you look at is going to turn to trouble. Whatever you look at will be filled with anguish. There'll be a deep despair and lack of peace. You will feel isolated, alone, alone and in darkness. Isaiah 8 ends, I'm, I'm coming to the preaching portion. Isaiah 8 ends and Isaiah chapter 9 begins with one word that's messed me up all week, Elder Johnson, nevertheless. You hear despair, 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 but Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse 1 opens up the audacity of the writer with nevertheless. Now, I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. I'm not even an English major. They told me not even to go into public speaking or write any books because I failed those two classes. What? But the word nevertheless means transitional shift. It means you're going from one thing to another. Look at your neighbor and say, nevertheless. You may be here today and you may feel like you are in despair, but you about to nevertheless go into hope. You may today feel like you're sitting in darkness in your life, but I got a nevertheless for you. The nevertheless is God's fixing to turn the lights on. Some of you feel like you can't get any peace in your life. I come with a nevertheless word. Rest is on its way. Some of you in this room are sick in body, sick in emotion. You're sick in your soul. I've got a nevertheless word for you. The lights are about to come on. God's about to flip this script and everything Things about to change. Look at your neighbor and say, nevertheless, neighbor. Yes, Lord, nevertheless. Somebody say, nevertheless. Here's the nevertheless. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Nevertheless, your depression will not go on forever. Nevertheless, your despair, if you put your hope in the Messiah, nevertheless, that addiction that you have can be broken. That sickness that you came to church with today can be made healed. Come on. Your soul can be restored. Your pain can be mended. God can take your past and redeem you and give you a future. Nevertheless, he's... somebody say, who is this man? Isaiah chapter number four and chapter number nine of verse four says this, as in the days of Midian's defeat. So now he's going to liken our nevertheless to Midian's defeat. And you say, what is Midian's defeat? Well, you got to go all the way back to the old landmark in the Old Testament. And the Bible said that before there were kings, there was judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I missed that. Joshua, judges, judges. I do know the Bible, I promise. You go to Judges, the book of Judges, and it's about Judges. 
who judged the nation of Israel and would bring them into fullness. And there's this guy by the name of Gideon in, in, the, in the book of Judges, chapter number six. And the Bible says that there was, there was Amal, the Amalekites and the Midianites surrounding the children of Israel. Now, their army was so big, the Bible said, it looked like a swarm of locusts and it looked like grains of sand on the seashore when Gideon looked out on their army. That's how massive they were. The Bible said that Gideon's army was 32,000 plus a few uh, large. And God told Gideon, he said, that's not the full army. He said, I want you to weed that down. He weeded it all the way down to 300 soldiers. And he tells Midian, Midian, you're going to go against the Amalekites who have stripped Israel and left them hungry. And you're going to go against the Amalekites with your 300 and you're going to win. He gives them this strategy and the Bible said supernaturally that God confused the enemy. They woke up from a dead sleep and they turned on each other and they started killing each other and then ran away. Well, here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, or chapter 9 and verse 4, the, the prophet is saying, just like God did it in Gideon's day, God is going to do it in your day. I don't know who this word is for right here. But some of you in this room, you have been struggling. You have been fighting through. You've been in a painful relationship after a painful relationship. All hell is breaking loose. I just came to encourage somebody to tell them as the days of Midian, breakthrough is on the way. We serve a supernatural, wonder-working, miracle-working, yoke-destroying, burden-lifting kind of God. Who is this man? Look at your neighbor and say it's Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government works upon his shoulders. He will be called. He will be called. His government rests upon his shoulders forever. Okay. He will be called wonderful counselor. Not wonderful counselor. There's no comma until after counselor. Wonderful counselor can be broke down this way. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. Look at this. Wonderful is the Hebrew word rela. And it means a miracle worker. Who is this man? He's a miracle worker. He's the marvelous one. I've seen God do so many miracles. I've seen him do miracles in this church. Come on in here. I've seen him restore marriages. Alexis has been clean and sober for almost a year and a half, two years. I've seen miracle after miracles on miracles. One, two, three. Miracle worker. But you know what else it means? It means a wonder. Not Stevie, but a wonder. What you mean, Bishop? It means sometimes God will do stuff. you leave you scratching your head wondering how in the world that happened. Because he's supernatural. He ain't like you and I. He shows up when nothing's supposed to work. He makes a way when there ain't no way. He releases healing when the doctor said you'll die. Come on in here. He makes your bank account flip into the green when it should be in the red. He is a wonder. Who is this man? He is wonderful, but he's counselor. Somebody say wonderful counselor. So it implies his counseling makes you wonder. That's some good counsel, Jesus. The word counselor is yachts in the Hebrew. And it means to remove the matter as a professional consultant. Now, I'm not a professional consultant. We do have a professional consultant in the room, Devin. He owns his own jujitsu company. I wouldn't, mess, I wouldn't want to mess with Devin. 
I'm just saying, I, I, listen, I'm just saying, I, I've, seen him, I've seen him get aggressive and I'm out. He, praise the Lord. I'm good. Praise, I'm a little doughy. He's not. Praise God. Pillsbury Doughboy right here. But if you need professional consulting on jujitsu, he'd be the guy to go to. A little plug for his company. It's over on 291 if you want to get into jujitsu. You're welcome, Devin. Praise God. You're going to need a bigger place maybe. I don't know. And so, and so he's, a, he's a consultant for that, right? Well, God is a consultant for your storms. God is a consultant for the hell you're going through. God is a consultant when you don't feel any peace. God is a consultant when you feel like you're lonesome in this time called Christmas. He is a wonderful counselor. His counseling will make you, my goodness, wonder. Who is this man? Somebody shout Jesus. He's wonderful counselor. Number two, he's mighty God. Look at your neighbor and say, mighty God. I'm thankful it didn't just say God, but it said mighty God. This word in the, in the Hebrew, mighty, is the word gabor, and it means powerful to fill in the blank. I like that there's a blank there. Powerful to fill in the blank. It means a warrior type, and it means a tyrant. Now, why would we want a God that's a tyrant? Well, what's a tyrant? A tyrant is a cruel and oppressive ruler. Here's what I know about God. God does not take it kindly when the enemy messes with your stuff. God does not take it kindly when he comes for your money, your mind, your marriage, your soul, your peace, your joy. God is powerful too. He's mighty. He's powerful to save. He's powerful to deliver. He's powerful to show up. He's powerful to move the mountain. He's powerful to heal your body. He is mighty. But you know what else? Yeah, he's mighty God. Somebody shout God. This right here got me going this week, Chris. It, it's the Hebrew word El, which is almighty, which is he has all power. So not is he only just mighty. He has all the might. He has all the power. He has all the victory. He is all, that's why he is Emmanuel. He's right here right now with all his power. He is right here right now with all his healing, with all his victory, with all his authority. He is God almighty. Who is this man? Somebody shout mighty God. Now when I was a kid, I was addicted to the Azusa Street conferences with Carlton Pearson. Anybody else in the room? Two of us, oh Lord Jesus, I just dated myself. And he, he had a guy there one time by the name of Ron Canoli who walked out on the platform and he took the microphone and he started singing this song that goes like this. You are a mighty God. If you don't know, sing with me, come on sing. You are a mighty God, oh, oh, and mighty God, mighty God, yes, you are a mighty God. Come on, sing again. You are a mighty, mighty God, hey, you are a mighty God, and mighty God, mighty God, yes, you are a then he'd start singing like this. He would just start telling me he's mighty. He'd say, for you are mighty. You are mighty. Mighty, come on. And mighty God, mighty God. Yes, you are a mighty God. Then he'd throw it a little bit different. He'd say, for you're holy. For you are holy. You are holy. Whatever you need Almighty to do, maybe you need heal 
healing. Then you can sing for he's healer. For you are healer. For you are healer. Healing God, healing God. Yes, you are a healing God. If you believe he's a mighty God, put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. Who is this man? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, but when you get to his third name, he is everlasting father. Somebody say everlasting father. Say it one more time, everlasting father. I can't put everlasting father. Everlasting, everlasting, yes you are. Everlasting. How many y'all appreciate Minister Drew Pickens in the room today? And his lovely wife, Miss Talise. Jesus is everlasting father. Now I do some research around this because I, I don't want the saints confused. How can he be the son and the father? Well, the word father here in the Hebrew is not Abba, it's Ab, A-B. And it, it, the definition of this word is to be fatherly. So let me give you an example. I am a son... But I'm also, now I'm my wife's daddy, zaddy, but, <laughs> but I'm Olivia's father. Woo. Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what y'all surprised. That's how you, every person in this room got here. You shouldn't talk like that in church. They talk like that out there. And they, God gave it to us married people. It's a heavenly gift. Praise the Lord what y'all say. Amen. Y'all too, too holy. My God. But I'm Olivia's father. But I'm still a son. But I have the characteristics and attributes of father. You know what that means? That means as an ob. Ab, not Abba, because God's not confused. There is the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. We serve three in one. Come on. He is Ab, which means fatherly. That he is a father to his people, as in being one supply, offering protection and displaying benevolence. God is everlasting Father, Ab, Jesus. How is he continually offering us then protection eternally? How is he displaying free gifts to us? He's displaying them everlasting, which means eternal. He never stops. He never stops giving. Come on. He never stops. Eternal means without beginning, without ending, the same, zero change, no end, no beginning. He, his actions are perpetual. That means if he did it for Abraham, he's going to do it for you. That means if he parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel, he'll, he'll part the impossibility for you as well. That means if he walked on water, he'll walk on your situation. That means if he healed the blinded eyes, he can heal your blinded eyes. That means if he healed deaf ears, he can heal your deaf ears. That means if he fed the masses with a few loaves and a few fishes God can be your supply he's supernatural he's always providing he's always protecting he's always defending why he's everlasting father who is this man wonderful counselor mighty God 
everlasting father but you get to the end of the story and he's the prince of bel-air just kidding he's the prince of peace look at your neighbor and say he is the prince of peace for all the lutherans that did not look to your neighbor please help us to look to your neighbor and say he is the prince of peace now this word prince in the hebrew is the word sar s not not like the virus but s-a-r sar sar and it means the master lord ruler chief general government and captain that rules blank you can put the fill in the blank there he rules my peace he rules come on in here my joy because here's what i know about christmas not it's not merry for all of us some of us christmas is just a reminder of who ain't there But Jesus is the ruler who rules your peace department of your life. Here's another definition of the word prince. The keeper of your peace. The keeper of your health. The keeper of your wealth. The keeper of your joy. Now to keep something means it's locked in a box and protected. Which means hell can't have it. He's the keeper of it. But it also means he's the steward of it. Now, to be a keeper means it's it, so it doesn't get lost or stolen. But to steward it means that, that, he, that he doesn't allow anybody else to touch it. He distributes it when you need it. So he distributes my peace. He distributes my joy. He distributes my victory. Come on in here. He gives me the victory. He gives me the joy. He gives me. Why? Because he's the leader of it. He's the governor of it. He's the Lord of it. He's the captain of my peace. You look at the word peace. How many of y'all know what the word peace means in here? It means shalom. It's, it's Hebrew word shalom. And it, it means a safe place. So, so Jesus, the Messiah, your Savior, Isaiah was saying, he's going to be your prince, your captain ruler of your shalom. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, I know you need some shalom today. I can see it all over your face, but he is the author of your peace. He is the author of your shalom, that place of wellness, happiness, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, a perfect place of peace, a total wholeness in your life. He is, that's who he is. What is his name? Who is this man? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now here's the good news. Isaiah 9 and verse 7 says that all of that about him will never end. His government, him governing these things in your life is never going to end. He's always going to be wonderful counselor. He's never going to end. He's always going to be mighty, mighty, always going to be mighty God. He's always going to be that eternal, everlasting ob, fatherly characteristics to take care of you. He's always going to be that prince of peace when hell shows its way in your door. He never stops moving. He never stops working. He is a miracle worker. He is a wonder worker. He's the answer to our prayer. He's the hope in today's world he's the answer for racism he's the answer for hate his name is jesus he is the messiah and he is god with us right here right now i dare you to stand up on your feet for three seconds everybody in the room come on stand up and give him a hand clap of praise hallelujah who is this man somebody shout jesus who is this man Somebody shout, Savior, Savior. Mighty, Mighty 
holy, eternal, counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. God is right here, right now with us. Come on, church. I think he's a good God, don't you? Don't you think he's a good God? The old saints used to say he's never late, he's never early, but he's right on time. We used to say stuff in the church growing up, God is good all the time and all the time. If you believe that, look at your neighbor and say, that's who that man is. That's who that man is. Come on in here. Never stops working. The good thing about the Lord is you can be imperfect and come to Jesus. Come on. The older I get, Bishop Birch, the more I realize my desperate need of him. When I was younger preaching, I thought I had everything together. I thought I was a good person. Until I got a little older and I realized had it not been for the grace and the mercy of God on my side, I wouldn't be here. I think a lot of times we come to church and we are wear a mask that everyone else is perfect except for us or that you have to be perfect to come to God. But the very fact Jesus was born in a, he was born and they laid him in a, basically a bowl where horses and pigs ate, a manger. Filthy, it was dirty. It's, it's a snapshot of why Jesus came, to put our dirt on him so we could be clean. He was born lowly so he could take you to a high place. And many of you in this room today, you don't know Jesus as your wonderful counselor, but you could if you would turn to him. You don't know God in his, in his almighty acts of goodness, but you could know him. Come on in here. Some of you are worried about your tomorrow, but you can come in contact with peace if you turn to him, some of you are concerned about your eternal state with the Father, but you can be assured for heaven as if you were already there by simply calling on the name of Jesus. He's the only one that can change your life. Some of you have searched through Brother Budweiser. He won't do it. Even, even Prophet Jack Daniels won't do it. I know he looks all, all good and everything. But he won't leave you feeling good and everything. Some of you have chased Brother Benjamin and success, but you're still empty. I saw this, saw this picture the other day, and, and then Nick sent me this a backstory to it of Hulk Hogan, who just radically got saved. I don't know if y'all saw that. And got baptized at just a little church, probably the same size as ours, maybe. And here's a guy that has gone to the height of his career. What else could Hulk Hogan want in life? Yet he was still left with an empty soul. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, Jesus said, and lose your own soul? The Bible said there's a way that seems right unto a man, but at the end of it are the ways of death. When my grandfather passed away, I think it was six years ago now on Christmas, his last words to me, he said, keep your integrity and tell everyone about eternity. His last words. He said, make sure my family gets there 
tell everybody about eternity and keep your integrity in the pulpit. His last words to me, and he died. I watched right there when he passed away. I wonder if you would heed the advice of grandpa today who passed six years ago. Will you keep your eternal integrity? And will you give your life to Jesus? Say, I, I don't have my life together. Maybe one day when I clean it all up, or maybe one day when I believe, I'll give my life to Jesus. There was a man that came to, to the disciples and his son had a demon. This is in the Bible. His son had a demon and the disciples couldn't get the demon out of him. And the Bible said that Jesus cast the devil out of him and later on the disciples, the, the, the disciples were questioning about this and he, he was remembered. He had told that man, who, who the dad that brought the kid, the, the dad said, I do believe you can do this, Jesus, but help my unbelief. And that's where some of you are today. I kind of believe in God but I don't really believe. And that's okay. Jesus will still take you. For me to stand here and tell you even Bishop Birch, a seasoned statesman in the kingdom, that we have faith all the time, that would be a lie. There's times I question. I doubt as well. But my security is in him because he's proven. He's old faithful. He's proven himself strong.